You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. All right. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. Welcome to Redeemer. I'm glad that you're here today. If you don't know me, my name is Jordan. I serve as one of our pastors here at Redeemer, and I have the privilege of leading us in preaching and and vision as a church. And so we're thankful that you're here. So glad that you're with us. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to get it out and open it up. Meet me back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We have been on a 12-week journey so far. This is week 12 of our study of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And it's important for us to maybe just take a moment and recap what this thing is that we've been walking through and studying over the last 12 weeks. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a young church in the first city century, uh, first century city of Corinth. And you can read about Paul planting the church in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. In fact, if you've made it this far into our study of 1 Corinthians without reading Acts chapter 18, I want to encourage you to do that, give you some homework uh, for this afternoon or for tonight. We read about this really incredible work that God does in the city of Corinth. Corinth was an overwhelming city. Paul is making his way into Corinth rather discouraged and even beaten up, quite literally. And he comes into this overwhelming city, and it seems that God wants to surprise him with grace. And God even tells him in a vision, he says, I have many people in this city who belong to me, and so stay patient and stay faithful. Continue to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. And Paul is there for about 18 months, and the Spirit leads him away to Ephesus. And Paul moves on, and then he starts to do gospel ministry and plants the church in Ephesus, where we get our letter, the, the book of Ephesians in our Bible. But it seems that in Paul's absence, the church in Corinth has gotten sideways. We've, we've seen this. I mean, imagine this. A young church, 18 months old, all first-generation Christians, and their, the church planner, the mighty apostle, their, uh, their leader, Paul, is gone. And so you would imagine that maybe that things would get hectic. And, and, and it does. There's leadership issues. They are living, trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in a confusing culture. And as we'll talk about a bit today, it's also a hectic time in history, in world history, that they are living through. And so Paul writes this letter from Ephesus back to the brothers and sisters in Corinth to address some of the issues that have been reported to him by Chloe and, uh, and the, the people that were with Chloe that either worked for her or her family members. And he answers also some specific questions that they're asking Paul as they're trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in a crazy culture and in a hectic time. Sounds familiar? Trying to follow Jesus in a crazy culture in a hectic time? It's a really applicable letter, and I hope that you've experienced that as we've been walking through it together. And we've made our way now to the end of chapter 7, and as we get to the end of chapter 7, if you haven't been with us, here's kind of what's going on. Paul has been on this run of wisdom and instructions as it relates to marriage, as it relates to relationships. He's kind of been on this run, giving some wisdom and some pastoral advice. And all of this was sparked by the Corinthians' question to him that came in verse 1 of chapter 7. And essentially, the question from these Christians in Corinth is, is sex bad? Is it bad? Like, should we, uh, you know, give that up in order to be more holy and to follow Jesus? They were confused in their time and in their culture. And Paul's answer in verses 1 through 5 is really clear. Paul says, no, no, it's not bad. It's great. It's a good gift that God has given to man and woman in the covenant of marriage. In other words, Sex is a blessing of marriage. It's a blessing to married people. But then he goes on and he says in verse 6 through 8 that it's not everything, though. 
We actually can live without it. We can live without it just fine. It's a great gift for married people, but it's not everything. And he says this in verse six or eight. In fact, he goes on, he says, I wish that all were single as I am. He says, it's good for unmarrieds to remain single. And this is fascinating. Paul kind of leaves it alone for a bit, goes on, talks about marriage and divorce and gives some instructions there. And then as we get to the end of chapter seven, he kind of circles back around to this bombshell that he drops that says it's actually good to be single. And so the title of my sermon today is The Goodness of Singleness. Paul is telling us that there is goodness in singleness. Now, it's important for us to remember and to note that what Paul just said here in chapter seven, verse six through eight, that it's good to be single, that it would have raised a lot of eyebrows in the first century world. They would have said, say what? How in the world is it good to be single, Paul? Are you out of your mind? In fact, Paul probably would have been shamed for this by those who were skeptics of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, singleness in the first century was not at all what singleness is today. Did you know that today, uh, that today singleness is more common and accepted than ever before in American history? Did you know that? That 50.2% of adults in the United States of America are single. 50.2%. So I guess the majority of adults, barely, in the United States today are single. In 1950, that number was 22%. It's more common and it's more accepted in our current modern culture than ever to be single. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this, and they're not necessarily all good, but we can understand it and make sense of it. So, number one, people today marry later in life than they ever have before. Um, some of this is because of our pursuits of higher education, kind of can push people and extend young adulthood into your 20s and even into your 30s. Um, women in today's society no longer need men like they once did in order to survive. And so singleness is more common, even for women, to choose to be single and stay single. Um, another reason, American cities today are, have kind of become these savvy and even hip places for singles to mingle uh, today. It's a weird way people kind of want to stay single and live a single life for a while in the city. And so singleness, as we think about it today in our culture today, is very different than what Paul had in mind when he wrote this text. And it's important for us to understand that before we start to wade our way through it. See, in the first century Greco-Roman world, to be single was to be a complete outcast. First century culture was a strong group culture. It's not an individualistic culture like our culture today. And so it's a strong group culture. So to be single, to be on your own without a family, would be to be an outcast, or to even, perhaps it's because you're diseased in some way. This was the thinking. And yet here is Paul saying, there's goodness and gift and singleness. Shocking. This is shocking. In the first century world, things like identity and wealth and security were found in the family. This was especially true for women. Marriages were arranged by families. It wasn't the way that we think about as Western individualistic people today. I'm going to go out and find my own wife. Oftentimes, even if my parents don't approve, it was the exact opposite. In the strong group culture, marriages were arranged for the benefit of the family and for the building up of security and wealth in the family. Often when people were very young, their marriages would be arranged and then they would wait and anticipate the day of their wedding. This is what Paul's talking about when he talks about being betrothed engaged, waiting for marriage, single until the day comes of your marriage. And so 
Who is it exactly that Paul is writing to in this text? Well, number one, those who are betrothed and are awaiting their marriage. And number two, those who have either been widowed or divorced and are anticipating a future marriage, a new marriage. In other words, in Paul's day, these people were viewed as incomplete people. Do you hear that? Do you understand that? In Paul's day, people who were unmarried were viewed as incomplete people. And perhaps that there are some of us who are here today that even view singleness that way, whether you're single or you're married. Despite the fact that singleness is more common and accepted than ever before, I think it's still ingrained within us that the single person is the person that is not quite yet made whole. They're incomplete. They're lacking. And so what does Paul have to say here? I want us to see how countercultural this is before we dig back into it. He says there is actually, that's actually not true. He says there is gift and goodness in the single Christian life. In the single Christian life. Don't miss this. Verse 6, he says, I wish that all were as I am, but each has his own gift. There's gift in marriage, but there's gift in singleness. To the unmarried, he says, I wish that, he says it's good, there's goodness to remain married in verse 8. In verse 28, in our text today, he says again, it's good to remain as you are addressing unmarried people. And then finally in verse 38, he says, he who refrains from marriage will do even better. If you want to get married, that's great. But if you refrain from marriage, it might be even better, Paul says. He wants us to see that there is something about Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ that empowers and transforms single people. And this would have been revolutionary in his day. What Paul is doing in our text is he's holding up the all-powerful, all-sufficient person of Jesus Christ, saying he is in every way enough. He's going to say that to single people, he's going to say that single people actually are people who get a head start in the kingdom of God. And so Paul is trying to shift our view here to say, don't view singleness the way the world views it, the culture views it. View it through the lens of the kingdom of God. He says people who are single actually get a head start in the kingdom of God. They get to practice now what will be all of our future reality, and that is undivided devotion to Jesus Christ, our King. In our text today, I want to show you three blessings that are unique to the Christian single person. Three blessings that are unique to the Christian single person. One, devotion. Two, freedom. Three, joy. Let's pray, and we'll work our way back through the text together. Almighty God, we bow before you this morning humbly, and we thank you for the gift of the gathered church. Thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises, to worship you, to hear your word, to fellowship with one another, to be united in our common story, in our common faith, our one hope, our one Lord, our one baptism. We honor you and exalt you. And our prayer this morning is simple. As we open your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We thank you that your word is living and active. We want to say to you humbly, God, we want you here this morning. We invite you here this morning. Would you minister to us for your name and for your glory and for our good? Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, verse 25. Chapter 7, verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed or those awaiting marriage, single people anticipating marriage, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. This is interesting what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I'm not giving you a black and white moral command. 
I'm giving you some pastoral advice, and I think I'm a pretty good pastor, and I'm pretty trustworthy. So it's kind of what he's, what he's saying here. I'm giving you some pastoral advice. And it's important, Paul makes this distinction in this passage three times. This isn't necessarily a command from God. It's just some pastoral wisdom, some pastoral advice. Singleness is good. Embrace the gift and the benefit of singleness. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, if you're paying attention, taking notes, you can underline that. I think in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Let's stop for a minute. Perhaps Paul has been in a season of pastoral ministry where he's been doing a lot of marriage counseling. <laughs> Perhaps Paul has become aware of how much harder Peter's apostolic ministry is because he's married. And what a gift and delight it is for Paul to be able to devote himself to Jesus and his mission. Who knows? All kidding aside, what Paul is doing is he's riffing here on what we looked at last week. You remember last week's message? He called for contentment in Christ, no matter where you are. Don't think that the next thing is the better thing. Don't, don't fall into the myth of the when, then, when I have this, then I'll have that. Just be content where you are. Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior for us. And so Paul's kind of riffing on this. Jesus is all in all. Jesus brings dignity and purpose and significance to every life he touches, no matter your station in life, no matter your status. He gives you dignity and life and purpose. Especially, Paul says, in light of this present distress. What's he talking about? What's going on here? Well, most likely, Paul is referring to a famine that was taking place across the Roman Empire. Most scholars will say that Paul left Corinth in about AD 51. And right around then, and then for a few years afterward, there was a severe shortage of grain that hit the Greco-Roman world. And it was causing a lot of panic, right? The Roman Empire, the people that lived in the colonies of the Roman Empire in the first century, it was the, the political propaganda was that Rome was going to keep us safe. Rome was going to keep peace. Rome was going to keep our bellies full. And all of a sudden, this lie is starting to, to be revealed. Oh, no, and there's panic. All we really have to do is rewind a few years in our brain and think about a global pandemic that kind of tipped our world upside down, and we can understand a bit of maybe what Paul's pastoral wisdom is saying here. So he's saying in light of this present distress, this is a hectic time, maybe you ought to stay as you are. Maybe, maybe you ought to not rush into marriage just yet. Marriage is a, a weighty thing. Marriage is a lot of responsibilities, especially for men who run into marriage in the ancient world. That marriage would then mean lots of other mouths to feed in the midst of a famine and hectic, uncertain times. Plus, don't miss it, plus, it's not just pragmatism. There is goodness in singleness. Paul goes on, verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Interesting. You might underline that as well. From now on, let those who have wives live as if they had none. What? Those who mourn as they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal or do business with the world as though they had no dealings with it for the present form. So first he's talking about a present distress. Now he's talking about a present form of this world is passing 
away. It seems that there is more going on here that's guiding Paul's instructions and wisdom than just the reality of a famine. Paul appeals to the reality that the present form of this world is passing away. What does this mean? Well, let me ask you a question that I think will help us understand what is going on here and what is guiding Paul's thinking, especially as it relates to singleness and unmarried people. Here's the question. I want you to consider this. What is it that frames your life? Don't think about your neighbor. Don't think about anybody. What is it that frames your life? By frames, I mean, think about like frames on glasses or frames on a window that kind of gives structure and stability. What is it that frames your life? What is it when you look at your life and when you think about your future and your decisions, what gives shape to your life? What is it for you? I think for some of you, if you're married, it could be your kids. You kind of view all of your life right now kind of through the frame of your kids and what they need and what it will take to help them flourish and what experiences. I'm going to spend my money here, my money there, and you, maybe that is what frames your life. Maybe others of you, it is your career, and you've kind of put everything there. Your career is what frames your future and your decision-making and how you think about your life. Others of you, perhaps it's your hobbies or your interests. That's what gives shape to your life. Maybe all you have to do is take a peek at your Instagram page, and that might tell you what frames your life. Well, for the Apostle Paul, hear me, for the Apostle Paul, there is only one thing that frames his life. There is one thing that gives shape to his life, and it is the mission of God. That's what it was for Paul. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the reality of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and promised second coming, and the mission in the meantime to proclaim the gospel to all peoples and establish churches until Jesus comes again. That was the one thing and only thing that framed the life of the Apostle Paul. He viewed everything, all of life, through the lens of Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and coming again. He says, this is all in all for Paul. And so here is what I think Paul is saying. In light of the famine going on, in first, in, in, in first century Corinth. And more importantly, in light of the fact that none of this stuff, marriage, possessions, life's highs and lows, business, none of this stuff is ultimate. None of this horizontal stuff. None of it is ultimate. In light of the present form of this world, the fact that all of this in the end is really rubbish, it's all passing away. In light of that, don't get caught up in it, Paul says. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And it, we're starting to get to the gift of singleness. We're getting there slowly. Paul is getting us there slowly. And yes, by the way, even marriage, he says. Even marriage is not ultimate. And, and that might surprise some of you. I don't know your background. If you want to talk more about this later, let's chat. But Paul is saying even marriage is not ultimate. Marriage will pass away too. In other words, marriage is... By the way, Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage, this beautiful passage about the gift of marriage. But what he's saying here is marriage is just one way in which God is preparing you for what is ultimate, and that is the marriage of Christ and his people. It's not everything. It's not ultimate. It's a tool that God will use in your redemption and your preparation for eternity. And so he's saying here, single unmarried people, don't set your mind, your life, your frame on earthly things. Keep it focused on things above. In other words, don't be duped to believe the lie that marriage is what will make you complete. Marriage is what will make you whole. That is not true. Christ has already made you complete if you are single. Christ 
has made you whole. What a savior he is. Paul is pointing to the power and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He's saying there is goodness and singleness. In fact, Paul teaches us that the, he teaches that singleness for the Christian is an opportunity, key word. Singleness for the Christian is an opportunity to keep the whole of your life focused on Jesus and his kingdom. The whole of your life. And I want you to know that this is, just, this is not just a platitude from Paul. You could hear me say something like that and you could go, oh, come on. There's a married guy talking about singleness. He has no idea the struggle, how difficult it really is. But to Paul, this is not just a Christian platitude. This is not just theology or theory. I want you to hear that. Paul is not speaking about singleness in theory. He's speaking from his own experience, from his own calling. He's speaking from, he's, he's pointing us here to truths and to realities that he has lived into as a single Christian Christ follower that he wants other single Christian Christ followers to experience as well. He says, don't miss the opportunity and the benefit and the blessing of singleness. And he's going to show us three things in verses 32 through 40. Three opportunities, three blessings in the single life. Number one is the blessing of devotion. The blessing of devotion. Verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the, the, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the, the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order or goodness in life and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Acts 2.42 through 47 is a passage of scripture that tells us a lot about what can happen when there is devotion unto the Lord. And if you're not familiar with your Bible, Acts 2.42 is when the Holy Spirit falls upon the earliest church after the day of Pentecost. And the church just explodes and maybe the closest thing we could think to, to compare it to is revival. It just explodes and it, and it lasts for a bit. But then eventually, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and a fellowship, and people are coming to Christ like crazy, and it's this amazing moment of devotion. But it lasts for just a bit, a bit because eventually people have to get on with the cares of the world, don't they? And, he's, and Paul is using that word again here, and he's saying there's an opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord in a life. It says the single man or woman has the opportunity to devote more time and attention to Jesus. The, the married man and woman has their time and their attention distracted and divided between spouse and, 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 and family and kids and worries. And, and he's saying the single person has the opportunity to devote more time to knowing Jesus and to making him known. And he says, in this, it's a blessing. Why? Because there's nothing more satisfying in a life than the person of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more worthy of our time and devotion than Jesus Christ. There is nothing more rewarding to our soul than life in and with Jesus Christ. Perhaps this is why Paul says from his experience, singleness is better. I wish all could be as I am. I wish all could experience 
what it's like. Do you see how Christ-exalting this is? What Paul is doing here is he's allowing the gospel to reframe our view of singleness, not to view it as a second-class status in life or a second-class status in the church. He's saying, no, it's different. There are blessings in marriage, but there are other blessings in singleness. So whether you're a person that has never been married or you're a person that's widowed or divorced or awaiting marriage and engagement, Paul is saying that you are not less than. You are not less than whole. You're not awaiting another person to complete you. You are complete, and you're able to devote yourself to the one and only truly satisfying person in this world, and that is Jesus. Devote yourself to his words. You're able to devote yourself to his leadership. You're able to devote yourself to his needs and his concerns and his desires for you. What a blessing. And then he goes on. He says, there's another thing. In verse 37, he's going to point to another blessing for the single person, and that is the blessing of freedom. The blessing of freedom. In other words, being freed from the world's standards for your life. Look what he says, verse 37. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desires under control, and has determined in his heart to remain unmarried, he's talking to unmarried people, he will do well. He will do well. Paul is saying here that the person who can remain unmarried is a person that, one, has their footing. The person that can, that's able to step into the opportunity of Christian singleness is a person that, number one, has their footing. Number two, is not succumbed to social pressures. What does he mean? You know what he means if you're a single person. Those pushy people in your life, grandparents, parents, whoever, like, so when are you getting married? So you've been on any dates lately? Like, they're, they're, they're established. They're not, they're not, they're not going to kind of be succumbed to that pushy pressure of the culture that says you have to get married in order to be whole and complete. And then number three, he says it's a person that can practice self-control, especially related to our sexual desires. It's a person that can practice self-control and contentment in Christ, practice Christian celibacy. He says, this person is a truly free person. This is a, this is a free, secure, confident in Christ person. You're secure and established in Christ. You don't need another person to complete you. You're not swayed by social pressure to find a spouse. You're not enslaved to your sexual desires. You are content in Christ. You are strong and free. This brother or sister ought to be celebrated in the church. Do you hear me? Wow. That's what he's saying. Now contrast this with the way that the the typical way in which singles were viewed in the ancient world. Single persons and outcasts. Diseased. Less than. Contrast this with, unfortunately, the way that a lot of people view single people in the church today. Well, this person is inferior. Maybe something's wrong with them. That's why they've never got married. Do you see the empowering word to singles that Paul is giving here? He's saying, no, no, no. This person that can can remain single is a strong, settled, secure Christian brother or sister. Their life is flourishing. They are witnessing to the good news of Jesus, and we ought to honor them. We ought to hold them up in the church. That's what he's saying. I want to tell you about something that I experienced a, a few weeks ago. I, uh, as a pastor, you guys, a lot of people wonder what pastors do. And they're like, do you just work one day a week? Like, what do you do? 
And pastors do all kinds of stuff that you just can't explain. And one of those things is you help people move. And so um, I was helping someone, some of our church members that were moving away. Um, I was helping them move. And I, when I showed up, and if I'm honest with you, I was like, I got so many other things to do. This is not what I want to be doing, but I guess duty calls, whatever. And so I showed up to help them move. And when I showed up, guess who was the first person that met me? I'm not going to say any names because I didn't have the opportunity to ask for permission before I shared the story. But it was a sister in this church who is single. And she greeted me with joy. And I sat there and watched as we helped them pack up and move. I, I watched her pack boxes. I watched her clean. I watched her serve faithfully. I came to find out later that the whole night before she had been doing that too, before any of us uh, men showed up with bad attitudes. <laughs> A few days later, home from our gathering here, and I come home afterward and all my kids are eating cookies. And I'm like, where'd those come from? And my wife says to me, oh, this single sister in our church gave us, made homemade cookies for us and wrote this super encouraging note to me and to our family. And I promise you that that's only scratching the surface of how she lives her life. Strong, secure, free, confident in Christ, serving Jesus, alive in her calling, walking in contentment, blessing other people and building up the church. That's a free person. What a testimony to the power of the gospel in the life of a human being on this planet. Freedom in Christ. One more, the blessing of joy. This one's a bit odd, but it's in the text, so we got to deal with it. The blessing of joy, verse 38 through 40. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. So if you want to get married, great. <laughs> Paul's saying, love God, get married. But he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, in my wisdom, she is happier if she remains unmarried. She remains as she is. Paul says, you decide. If you want to get married, that's great. There's a lot of joy in marriage. There's other gifts in marriage, one of them being sex and family and all the other blessings of partnership, but there's also some challenges in marriage, Paul said. If you want to be single, even better. He says, he's saying there is a peculiar joy. There's a peculiar joy. There's a, a different kind of happiness in the single life. And then he just leaves it alone. He doesn't give any commentary. He doesn't explain himself. He just leaves it alone and he moves on to chapter eight and he starts talking about meat offered to idols. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. He doesn't, he doesn't give any commentary. In fact, here, here's what I think he's doing. In a way, I think Paul is kind of leaving us to trust him on this one, to trust his own experience, that there is a unique, peculiar joy and singleness that married people know nothing about. You see, Paul, through his life, has poured himself out as a single man, serving Jesus and serving the church. And he did this through hardship, through suffering, through persecution, through a church he loved in Corinth that betrayed him. We talked about that early in this series. Through sickness, through imprisonment. I want you to imagine the, the loneliness of this man with no spouse to lean on, all he has is the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, in Jesus Christ, there is a peculiar joy. There's an intimate, 
presence of knowing and being known when Jesus is the only one you have. Wow. So beautiful. Jesus in the company of God's people. It's not a second class status. It's a peculiar goodness. You see, marriage is a great gift. I want you to get married. I hope that you would. It's a great gift, Paul says. But there's something of Jesus that, sing, that only single people will know about. And it too is pretty awesome. Do you see how empowering this is for single men and women in our fellowship? It's Paul's way of saying, you're not a second-class citizen in the church. It's Paul's way of saying, you matter. You have something to offer that married people know nothing about. And that's where I want to close this morning. The renovation that Paul is bringing in 1 Corinthians 7 is a call to reframe our view of sexuality and marriage and singleness in light of the promised coming of Christ. Reframe all of it in light of Jesus' return. And he reminds us that the church is a spiritual family that's made up of married and single people who are all doing the same thing in their own unique station of life, awaiting the promised return of Jesus Christ, the glorious return of Jesus Christ. He's saying one is not better than the other. There are unique spiritual blessings in both. Neither of them are your source of meaning and identity. Christ is your life. Christ is all, of all, all in all. And neither of them will bring you full and final fulfillment. Both the married life and the single life will be fulfilled fully in the return of Christ. And so here's what I want to say. Married people in this room, married people in this church, I want to just exhort you. Would you seek to honor and include single people, single brothers and sisters? Include them, those who are in your spiritual family. Include them in your family. Welcome them at your table. Open your ear to learn from them and to listen to them and let the Spirit of Christ pour into you through them and their unique role that they play in the body of Christ. They have so much to offer us. And singles in this room, single brothers and sisters, simply want to say to you, may the Lord bless you. May he bless you. May he use you in ways that only he can use you that he can't use married people. May he fill you and may he use you to teach us in this room who are married what it looks like to live a life of devotion and of freedom and of peculiar joy in Christ who is our all in all. We love you and we need you in this church. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us. We thank you for how it's true and good. Thank you how it exceeds and extends beyond different cultures and times in history and it points us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, your beloved son. And so would you help us to be your faithful people, Father, whether we're married or single, whether we're widowed or divorced, we're engaged, whether we're um, happily single or we are desiring marriage, help us right where we are to see that you are all in all, to trust you more deeply, to live for you more fully. Help us to be a church that points to the sufficiency and the power of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. It's in him and through him we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.